PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. This podcast is sponsored by Parker Laboratories, the world's leading manufacturer of ultrasound and electromedical contact media. Parker products include Aquasonic 100 Ultrasound Transmission Gel, the world standard for medical ultrasound. For more than 50 years, Parker Laboratories has been at the forefront of technology, providing physical therapists and their patients with the best medical ultrasound products available. Visit www.parkerlabs.com for more information. Welcome to PTJ's The Bottom Line for June 2010. I'm Donovan Stutel, along with Dave Corboisier. Bottom Lines translate the findings of selected research articles for clinical practice. Bottom Lines are not intended to substitute for a critical reading of the original articles. These Bottom Lines were written by the authors of their respective articles. Our first Bottom Line summarizes critical appraisal of clinical prediction rules that aim to optimize treatment selection for musculoskeletal conditions by Tasha Stanton, Dr. Mark Hancock, Dr. Christopher Marr, and Dr. Bart Kuz. First, what do we already know about the topic? Clinical prediction rules that aim to select the most effective treatment for an individual patient are becoming increasingly common. It is recommended that clinical prediction rules should not be applied clinically until they are validated. What new information does this study offer? This study found that currently there is little evidence that published clinical prediction rules can be used to predict effects of treatment for musculoskeletal conditions. Most studies use designs that cannot differentiate between predictors of response to treatment and predictors of outcome regardless of treatment. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? You and your clinician should base treatment decisions on evidence of what helps most patients with a similar condition. For example, evidence from a well-conducted clinical trial. Our next bottom line summarizes graded activity and graded exposure for persistent, nonspecific low back pain. A systematic review by Luciana Macedo, Dr. Rob Smates, Dr. Christopher Marr, Dr. Jane Latimer, and Dr. James McCauley. What do we already know about the topic? Graded activity and graded exposure differ from traditional exercise because these interventions incorporate psychological principles into activity prescription. It remains unclear whether either of these interventions is effective. What new information does this study offer? This review established that graded activity but not graded exposure is an effective treatment for persistent low back pain, although the effect size is small. There is no evidence that either is superior to a traditional exercise program for persistent low back pain. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? Exercise is an effective treatment for persistent low back pain, but the type of exercise does not seem particularly important. Our next bottom line summarizes, a balanced exercise program appears to improve function for patients with total knee arthroplasty, a randomized clinical trial by Dr. Sarah Piva, Alexandra Gill, Gustavo Almeida, Dr. Anthony DeJoya III, Timothy Levison, and Dr. G. Kelly Fitzgerald. What do we already know about the topic? Although exercise programs have been the mainstay of treatment for the functional deficits of patients after total knee arthroplasty, their effectiveness has been limited. To date, exercise programs have not targeted the deficits in balance and movement control of these patients. What new information does this study offer? 
This small study demonstrated that exercise programs that target balance and movement control are safe, well-tolerated, and appear to improve functional performance, stiffness, and pain of patients after total knee arthroplasty. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? Exercises that challenge a patient's balance may be beneficial. There is a need for conducting larger studies to confirm these results before incorporating these exercises into rehabilitation after total knee arthroplasty. Our last bottom line summarizes effect of a home program of hip abductor exercises on knee joint loading, strength, function, and pain in people with knee osteoarthritis. A clinical trial by Dr. Elizabeth Sled, Latif Koja, Dr. Kevin Deluzio, Dr. Sandra Olney, and Dr. Elsie Cullum. What do we already know about the topic? Higher external knee adduction moments during gait have been shown to contribute to the progression of knee osteoarthritis. Different interventions have been tested for their potential to decrease the knee adduction moment. What new information does this study offer? Hip abductor muscle strengthening did not influence the knee adduction moment in 40 participants with knee osteoarthritis. However, participants demonstrated improvements in function and knee symptoms. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? Hip abductor muscle strengthening may be beneficial for increasing function and decreasing pain in individuals with knee osteoarthritis. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net. We always appreciate your feedback. You can email ptj at scienceaudio.net or leave a voicemail at 626-593-7825.